playing online and on smart devices. Now on London Scotty Radio, it's podcast time. I'm George Matlock. Hello and welcome to London Scotty Radio listeners. I'm George Matlock. I'm very delighted to tell you we have an interview today with somebody who had a Scottish Terrier many a year ago. Uh, joining us now is Jane Fiddick. Good morning to you. Good morning. Jane, tell us first of all, um, the, the, the Scottish Terrier we're talking about, we are going back a few years, aren't we? We are, yes. He uh, came into my life in 1946. Wow. Okay. All right. So Clement Attlee was Prime Minister that far back. Um, tell us, um, uh, the, now the name of your dog is quite unusual. Let's let's personalise it and, and bring him in here because he sounds a bit like the name of a cereal. Well, no. Um, he was called Weebit. Weebit. Because the year we got him, actually 1947 he came because my we had all gone up to Edinburgh for the first festival and my mother was very taken with Scotland and therefore mm-hmm. I suppose Scottish Terriers, but also had loved the way in which the shopkeepers in those days of no plastic bags, no paper bags, no nothing, would ask, would you like a wee bit paper to ah. wrap this food up in? And so when we got wee bit, he was a wee bit dog. I see. So nothing to do with a famous brand of cereal, which I will not mention by name because they're not sponsoring this podcast. Okay. Oh, right. No, no, no. <laughs> nothing to do with that. He wouldn't have dreamt of eating it either. <laughs> I, I'm not a big fan of it myself. Okay. So, um, right. So, so, so that was 1946 in, in, in Scotland. And um, I suppose back then, of course, Scottish Terriers were far more often on the ground. You used to see them more often. I mean, I very often uh, bump into people. In fact, that's how we uh, had, the, mm. I think, our first, first conversation is that you said you had uh, a Scottish Terrier um, uh, some years back. And, and um, I think we all agree that there are fewer of them around than there used to be. They were even briefly on the sort of um, uh, at-risk um, yeah. uh, list of the Kennel Club of Great Britain. Uh, so back then, were they very popular? I mean, was it an easy, an easy choice to go for a Scottie? I don't know. I, maybe my mother, who was the leading uh, activator in all this, um, had seen a few in Edinburgh, but we lived in Worcestershire at the time. And so he was born, I think, in Worcestershire and came back and, and lived with us there for, mm-hmm. near, for, well, for all his life. Um, he arrived as a tiny puppy, uh, a wee bit dog, as I say. Now, tell us about, you were telling me just before we started the programme, uh, about uh, a little bit about wee bit, and you mentioned his sense of wanderlust. Tell us more. If he could get, once he was sort of grown up, he, if he could get out of the house uh, and garden, he would just go off, take himself off, for a whole day sometimes. He always came back. Once, when we had had to leave him in kennels, uh, when we were going, when we weren't able to take him, um, he he had enjoyed that. And one day he disappeared, and we suddenly thought, "I wonder if he's gone to see Miss Jones, who was the keeper of the kennels." And sure enough, he'd found his way back there, although he'd only ever been there by car. So 
quite how he knew, we don't know. And how many miles would that have been, do you think? Oh, two tracked? and a half, I should think. That's a yeah. fair distance, isn't it? Mm. Well, I have to say, it's, it's a wonderful endorsement, I'm sure, for the kennel owner that uh, the dog loved it so much, it wanted more and uh, went to, to visit her. I mean, we, I suppose in a way, that era, the, 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 night, the, the second half of the 1940s, obviously immediately after World War II, we all have these sort of slightly clouded views that this was a time of austerity, which, of course, to some degree it was. And of course, the winter of 1947 was very punishing. Um, but nevertheless, um, we, we all have these feelings that everything was done in a very uh, strict way um, and, uh, you know, going to school would have been quite a strict occasion compared to perhaps today's uh, schooling um, mm. for human beings I'm talking about um, and then kennels, much the same you know, oh, they, they must have given them you know, one bread stick a day or something to chew, but it wasn't like that by the, I, by all don't, I shouldn't imagine so and, <laughs> and the other thing was that I don't think it was like modern day kennels where they all have their own little concrete compartments and all that sort of thing yeah. um, it was her garden yeah, and all the dogs would play together and, and interact. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, we always wondered how she coped because Weebit, when he was with us, fought anything he saw, mm. but apparently never fought any of these dogs in the kennels with him at all. And, of course, this is all in the days before um, microchipping and, and tagging, and yet there he was um, running out, um, never known, knowingly where, and then coming back. And then coming back, yes. Mm. Did, did, did you ever lose him for more than a day? No. So he really did have a very good GPS? I think he did, yeah. yes. Very good sat-nav. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. A uh, homing instinct. And how long, how long was he with you for? You say you had him since, uh, well, since, since he was a puppy, right? Yes. Hmm. And, and uh, he died in 1959, which was a sad moment, but on the other hand, it was quite a good time because... Um, the family was about to move to London from darkest Worcestershire and I was going to university and he died fighting through the fence of our garden with the dog next door who had a Scottish name like Fife and whom Weebit hated more than anything. And I think he had a heart attack while indulging in this great fight through the fence and, and just died. So a very dramatic end, really. So, um, he, <laughs> I think it's how he would have liked to have gone, actually. So sort of died in action with honours. With honours, yes. Yeah, yeah. And um, uh, do, do you know what happened thereafter? I mean, what, did you uh, have a special burial ground for him? or He was, he was buried in the garden where he spent ha many happy hours pushing stones around. Mm. He didn't have a ball. He found a stone and pushed that around. Okay, fantastic. And uh, tell me, the, the experience of having, um, and of course the trauma that obviously follows when a loss like that, um, uh, did it um, sort of put you off having dogs again or did you have dogs thereafter? No, we moved to London and as I say, I was away at university. Um, everybody, my mother went back to teaching. Everybody was out all day. Uh, there was no way in which we could have a dog. Mm, okay. And uh, do you have any pets at the moment? No. No. Okay. So uh, tell, tell us now a, a little bit about um, uh, when, when you came to London, because I, I, I know you're a near neighbour of mine, um, you're, you're not far from me, and um, uh, I, I 
got to know your uh, dear husband Peter uh, mm. quite well, and uh, we used to sometimes chat on the on the on the London Underground on the Tube, going into the city and so on. And um, of course, he had a very illustrious career. Um, some people might already be googling the name and figuring it out for themselves. <laughs> um, he was, um, if I'm not mistaken, he was the last editor of Listener magazine. That's uh, right. And also, um, then became a, a media journalist. I'm talking about the media sector for the Guardian. I think. Yes. Well, he he had been. Um, at the Guardian before he became editor of the Listener, oh. um, uh, he he went there as a as a general reporter. Um, in fact, his first job was going to cover the tragedy of Aberfan in right. I can't remember what the year 1966. was. Nineteen sixty six. That's right. We were just married. Yes. Oh, right. Well, con- con- and big congratulations on that. Yes, I remember you said in the in the 60s, and I tried to work out in my mind whether it was 65 or 66, so I wasn't mm. far off, indeed. Yeah, Abavan, of course, uh, shook the country, really, didn't it? Uh, mm, it and him, yes. Yes, I'm sure. And and, and did, did he speak... I mean, obviously, he wrote plenty about it. Uh, that was his role, and that was his job. But d- did he reflect on what he saw down there when, when, when you were next together? I mean, did he speak about From it? From time to time. Mm. Uh, it wasn't something he talked about very much, but he came came back looking like the old-fashioned idea of a chimney sweep. He was just mm. covered in black coal dust. Good grief. Mm. So so the, the debris would have been still swirling around oh, quite some time yes. afterwards. And, of course, the scars uh, still haven't fully healed. It still, uh, still is referenced, even though it's more than, um, well, about a half, more than half a century ago now. Yeah. It, it still gets referenced quite often uh, in, in public policy. And, and, and I suppose, uh, well, do, do you think we've learned lessons from it? I mean, do, do, have we changed uh, and adapted from, from disasters like that one? I think we are probably better at expressing grief mm. in public nowadays than in those days i think um i think that may be one thing that happened peter Mm. was always very keen that people should be able to cry if they wanted to very good point and indeed you're right i think that is a very uh, good observation you've made there because indeed social media has of course made it possible as well for people to be to, to you know to take traditional media out of the newsroom and and to give and to empower people to to use it for better and sometimes for worse of course um, but to use social media in order to express their feelings. Mm. But fascinating. And, and was Peter a, a dog fan? And uh... No, not at all. Indeed, he had grown up with a great antipathy towards Scotties. Ooh. Because as a young boy, his knee had been very badly bitten by one. No way. And he, he one of the reasons why he believed that Ribbit had never really existed um, was that uh, all our memories of him were happy apart from the odd bit of fighting. But, uh, so, so this was a kind of self-denial in a way. He, 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 <laughs> he tried to say, no, he didn't. So this is, um, I suppose, to use today's parlance in, in media, this would be something a bit like post-truth, right? So there's this term that got invented when Donald Trump became president of the United States and where, where people would defy uh, rational facts and simply say, well, no, that's all nonsense. Yes. <laughs> so, so, never existed. Never my, existed. My sister-in-law was the same. She she never really believed that Weebit had existed. Yeah, yeah. Um. 
Um, now, it's, very, it's very, always very interesting to speak to people about their recollections of Scotties from yesteryear compared to what we go through now. We, I mentioned earlier, I touched on microchipping and, mm. um, and things like that. We, we do live in a, almost a kind of a police state now, it seems, um, when it comes to, to animals and, and, and perhaps for good reason, because we want to protect our beloved uh, pets, of course, whether that's dogs, cats or, or goldfish. But um, at the same time, uh, do, you, do you think that we, we it's, it's going the right direction or, or do you think things were easier and and and, hap- and dogs were happier just being a little bit more wild well since i don't have any experience of modern dog keeping i wouldn't know <laughs> i if you say it's like that then i i believe what you say um i mean cats do wander mm. still uh although they have to be chipped don't they um I have a, a cat that comes occasionally to visit, wanders in, wanders out, meows, and goes away. Uh, one thing that happened when Weebit arrived in our family was that I'd had a, a spaniel and a cat before we got Weebit. Um, and the dog died, and my mother thought we ought to have another one, so she set that in motion. Um, but the cat, who was very beloved and a very beautiful half-Persian, um, took one look at this bundle of black fur and went. Hmm. Just disappeared. Oh, strange. He'd come back from time to time and glare at us. And, you know, one would open a tin of sardines, which was quite a thing to do in 1946, um, but he was never interested, never came back. Well, those were the days of rationing as well, I thought. Yeah, yes, as you say, opening a kind of a tin rather of uh, sardines would have been quite an occasion, really. Exactly, <laughs> spoiling a cat. Yes. But it is incredible. I mean, cats obviously are, and I'm sure there'll be cat uh, listeners who will disagree with, with me on this. Um, that, that they are lower maintenance certainly than than dogs. But I mean, if you look at the the cost of of having a, a dog, it is actually quite a, a you know, it is a, a very big outlay. I think a lot more relative to income today than it would have been relative to income in, say, 1946. Yes. I mean, you've got microchipping, you have to do annual uh, jabs for vaccinations, and that's just that. Then there's then there's the expensive food, and we're now being encouraged not to give them scraps and things that pe- perhaps people would have given in the past, but to give them nu- more nutritious food. Uh, you say a lot of this makes sense. You know, a lot of this is 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 mm. good about bringing up uh, dogs in in a better environment, in a healthier, more sustainable way. But I don't know that there's a lot of evidence that they live longer. That the mortality rate, for example, of, of dogs is any better than it was in 1946. And I dare say that, you know, with all the costs involved uh, of, of dogs, you know, um, it, it can be very expensive and sometimes to the detriment of the animal because people can't necessarily afford them and they want to then rehome them, which is yeah. very sad. Well, everything has changed such a lot. I mean, there's such a variety of dog food, for example, that you can buy. I don't think you could get that um, just after the war. I don't remember, but I do remember my mother having a very good relationship with her butcher who would supply her with lights. <laughs> right. i.e. lungs right. which she would then cook and we would absolutely love them i'm sure i'm sure and i suspect they were good for him i don't know mm. i hope so good for his joints perhaps yeah yes. absolutely yeah i mean today uh, i mean lockdown of course is the, the final thing i wanted just to, to address on, on while we're talking about this, the, the cost of, of bringing a, a, a you know bringing up and looking after a dog one of the things, of course, is that lockdown has increased a lot of prices. So, for example, I'm not talking about food and, and vaccinations and all those kinds of things, but rather the actual cost of acquiring one. If you want yeah. a puppy, um, I mean, a Scottish terrier, 
uh, let's see now, 2014, so that's about seven years ago, would have sent you back a black one around £700, 700 to 900 um, That's from a reputable breeder, of yeah. course, a kennel club registered, etc. None of these puppy farms. Um, and um, today you're looking at the equivalent of around £3,500 for a Scottish Terrier. And, and the same is replicated for Frenchies, for Labradors and, you know, other, other breeds. It's gone through it. the roof. It's incredible. That's a lot of dog food you could get for that money. So, there is. you know, and of course, lockdown means a lot of people buy on impulse, um, not necessarily even paying three and a half thousand, but they might go into to somebody from um, and buy one from off the back of a van, you know, um, which means that it's of a very dubious source, uh, and and the animal then you know then falls ill, and and all these things can happen. So there's so there's terrible stories out there, but something that you know people need to think about I mean, we always remind people you know that they need to think about the cost of bringing up a dog think about where they're getting it from you can't do this on the cheap no. um it really is a big undertaking to have mm. a dog well even with a scotty who has to look properly like a scotty dog um just grooming get getting the coat cut properly the beard cut to the right shape etc etc can cost quite a lot of money I believe it does. It does mm. indeed, and and we, we we do something called hand stripping. So it's not actually cutting as such. We 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 actually have them plucked, and before you say, "Oh my goodness," uh, it's actually very healthy for the dog because it. No, it, I it, remember my father doing that with a, a thing oh. like a yes. Yeah, hand stripping is so good because it encourages good growth. It, 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 it uh, actually, as you probably know, then the Scottish Terriers actually have two coats, not one. They have an impermeable outer, and then they have uh, an insulation inner. Mm. Uh, and if you if you cut them with just with clippers, which a lot, of course a lot of people do, and there's, there's nothing wrong with that, but once you do that, you actually destroy the double coat mm. because the coats sit in a certain way that then you can't re- re- replicate it. No, I remember wee bit's coat being thinned with something like a, a thing that stroked on. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So fond memories for you, at least, of Scottish Terriers and for Peter, not so. Do you mind me asking, was was this uh, in his own house or did, was he walking past somebody's garden when a Scotty leapt at him and bit his ankle? Do you know, I have, have no idea. It was, he still had the scars. Oh, dear. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. It, was, it sounds like it was quite a deep <laughs> incision. I think it was, but then there's not, you know, there's only skin on a boat, on, on a knee, mm. isn't there? So yeah. it's not. But he didn't. He didn't have problems uh, after that. Right? He, no. he was able to walk. He didn't. He no. didn't. Uh, he didn't no. dam- damage the ankle or anything like that. Okay. Well, look, Jane. It's been an absolute delight to talk to you uh, for London Scotty Radio, and um, thank you very much for sharing your your experiences of wee bit. Is there anything from your side that I've missed that you might want to share with the listeners? Nothing in in particular. There were all sorts of things. I mean, you only had to say to wee bit, "Are you coming?" Mm. And he would get his lead. He would bring his own lead. Yes. Right. Just like in Fred Bassett and other cartoons. <laughs> right. So, wow. So, he really doesn't... you didn't even have to say walk or anything. Mm. Are you coming? He went to work with my father because he worked in a research establishment where they had offices of their own and we would just sit in the corner and uh, walk back again. Fantastic. Hmm. And uh, if uh, somebody was thinking of getting a Scottish Terrier, what would be your advice to them? I had you know, I. I... I don't think I have any. I mean, my memories of mine were absolutely adorable and uh, um, not trouble-free because of the fighting. You, I couldn't mm. take him for walks on mm. a lead, but um, I suspect they, they probably can breed that out of them now. What do you think? 
<laughs> well, they, they, they send dogs to uh, puppy schools. So when they're, when they're young, uh, when they're a few months old, uh, they, they, they go to, as, as Art Minded as well, locally, we go to, you, you take them to a, a puppy school and essentially it's a, a class after hours, you know, um, once a week or something. And they get to know other dogs which are also puppies. So it could be a chihuahua or, or it could be a pit bull. But, um, you know, you, you, you would uh, get a chance for the dog to sort of acclimatise, I suppose, and to get to know another, how, how dogs interact. So they're not all Scotties, for example, in the room. Yeah. I mean, one thing I do remember is once when he had gone off by himself... And we happened to be driving past in a car and saw this group of dogs, and we was with them. And he was be- behaving perfectly well. I think it was only when we were with him, one of us was with him, that maybe he felt the need to protect. I don't know. But maybe that's, that's the reason why he didn't do it when we weren't around. Yeah, I mean, dogs can be protective, and Scottish Terriers are certainly no exception. Jane, thank you very much for talking to us. It's been okay. a pleasure. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to London Scotty Radio. This and all our podcasts are available online at londonscotty.club. If you liked it, be sure to subscribe to us from your favourite podcast player app. Also visit us on YouTube for fun videos. And if you have a Scottish Terrier in London or nearby, be sure to join us.